Pastor George here. I wanted to take a second and thank you for checking out our online messages. Our prayer is that this resource will challenge you, encourage you, and empower you as you uh, dig deeper in your relationship with Christ. But in no way will it replace God's plan for your active involvement in a local church. I do want to take a second and ask you to uh, prayerfully consider as you participate and listen to this resource, partnering with Revive as we uh, pursue our mission of seeing people live their fullest life in Christ. You can do this by going online to revivechurchga.com backslash give and making a one-time donation or setting up a recurring gift. It's through the generosity of others that we're able to provide um, a resource like this one. With that being said, uh, I do want to thank you again, and here is today's message. Okay, so if you've been here, we are in the middle of a, a series that we're calling 30-Minute Theology. Uh, basically, in the 30 minutes or so, give or take a little bit, <laughs> um, I try to unpack some things that really every message is theology, but I try to unpack some questions that I get often. Um, it's interesting, when people find out I'm a pastor, first thought is, wow, you're too young. Uh, so I grew a beard to look a little older. I don't, I don't know if it's working. The second thing is I usually get peppered with questions, like questions that they've, um, let's be honest, here in the South, most people have spent some extended period of time in the church, and they have heard different teachings and have questions about how it applies to their life, what's important about it, is it real, is it accurate? And, and a lot of these I'm trying to approach with this 30-minute uh, theology series is, is answering these questions that I get in uh, at the dinner table with uh, friends, or we were at the, the beach a couple weeks ago, and uh, my brother-in-law and his girlfriend were across the table, and they just kind of started asking all these questions. It was just, there's, there's just these times where people are wondering. And one of the things that came up at that time and has come up often is the end times, right? Has anybody ever had any confusion about the end times? <laughs> I can remember uh, one time when I was a little kid, I woke up from a nap and my parents were outside and they were talking to the neighbors outside. So I woke up from the nap and I was the only one in the house, right? And immediately I thought, oh no, I missed the rapture, right? And I start to panic. I start to cry. And, and I remember watching these movies about uh, people who were left behind and there was going to be this great tribulation and there's uh, not going to be, there's going to be famine and I was going to not going to be any water. And so the first thing I did is I went to the sink and I cut it on to see if there was water. And I was like, okay, there's water. So I'm good. So then I start trying to find my parents and I see them outside talking. There's like this breath of fresh air, right? And I think that there's, there's a lot of confusion about the end times. And, and my approach in the past has been, well, you know what? I'm going to live for Jesus now. And whenever the end times happen, that's when I'll form my theology, right? And I didn't really care about them. But if we're going to study the Bible and we're going to know all, and learn all of the Bible, the end times is a part of that. And it's more than just, well, this is a one part that I need to look at often. The, in fact, 
every 100%, every single book in the New Testament talks about it at some point or another. So there's, there's importance to understanding and knowing these end times. Now, that being said, it's, most of it, it comes from apocalyptic literature, right? So you guys probably know what apocalypse is. This, it seems scary, right? But it's, it's kind of this pro- prophetic literature in the Bible. You see it in Daniel. You'll see it in uh, some of it in Joel and Job and, and Revelation, right? And so, so really it's kind of confusing, and there can be symbols and numbers and, and people trying to use that to predict kind of what, when it's going to happen. Uh, in 1988, a guy named Egner Wisnett, if I say his name right, wrote a book of 88 reasons why Jesus will come back in 1988. They were all wrong, right? <laughs> uh, turns out he didn't come back in 1988. Uh, there's a, the, the founder of the Jehovah Witness community made predictions in 1914, 15, and 18 that Jesus would come back. They were all wrong. His followers later came up with predictions of 1925, 32, 41, 1975, 94. They were all wrong, right? We all remember Y2K, the world was going to end. We were wrong. We all remember 2012, the the Mayan calendar ends. We were wrong, right? (laughs) When we look at Revelation, it's not this code that's there for us to decipher when the end will be, right? The, The Bible says that we will not know the day nor the hour, it could be carried on nor the year, right? The, the Jesus is, we're not going to know when he comes back. But there are some things that I think we should look at and study and know about the end times. So I just want to start off with Revelation 117. It was on the, the uh, TV this morning, but it says, this is John, and he's writing this book, and he's writing this book to, to, to churches, and it's this prophetic book, this vision that God's given him, so he's wanting to communicate something to these churches. We go back to week one of this series, right? We form our, our theology with the Bible first. That is our, our sole source, right? And, and, and so John is writing this to these churches, and he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. I hold the keys to death and Hades. So when we look at this, we look at one of the things that John is communicating. It is the fact that there is a bright hopeful, victorious future. You have King Jesus who holds the keys to death. King Jesus who has been victorious over death, that he is triumphal. That's the end of the story. So he's saying, hey, look, when you're reading this book, I want you to read it so that you can look at your present time in the lens of the end time. I want you to look at it, the the, the present thing that you're in, you know the end of the story. You know that in the end, we are victorious. So that when we look at our life, no matter what's going on around us, we know that in the end, Jesus wins. We win. Now, now, now that said, I, I want us to, to, to kind of look at the fact that, that this wasn't a, a fear-based teaching, which I'm going to be honest, I kind of grew up in this holiness kind of legalistic view, and, and we watched these movies of, of the end times, and, and if you didn't get raptured, it's because you didn't love Jesus, and then you would have to face all these trials, and it was basically this kind of manipulative fear tool to say, hey, surrender your life to Jesus, and and. Sometimes when we look at some of the things that I've said in Revelation and, and throughout Scripture, it can seem scary, but what I want us to know that it's not 
something to be feared. So there's kind of these, as we kind of go in and we, we unpack this, I want you to kind of, I'm going to read Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3, but, but I want you to kind of see that there's kind of three interpretations, and this is where the message gets a little bit luxury. So, so hold on, stay focused. It's kind of happened a few times throughout this series, but I think it's important. And so there's, uh, in Revelation 20 verses 1 through 3, it says this, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set for free for a short time. So you, you heard a thousand years a couple of times, and right? So, so there's generally three different views of the end times, okay? They all have to do with, with this thousand years. So you guys remember the millennium, right? 2000, millennium is word for a thousand. So all these views kind of use that word, right? So you have pre-millennium. I'm just going to put pre-mill because I don't like spelling, right? Then you have post mill, and then you have all mill, okay? So this is kind of your, your three views of this thousand years. So if you can kind of look at this and know pre is before. So this is kind of your, inside of this, there's different kind of camps, but inside of this is where you see your left behind teaching, right? So that basically you've got this thousand years of peace. And in this thousand years of peace, which all three See is happening. It says it in scripture. We just read it. In this thousand years of peace, inside of the the pre-mill, you kind of have a a thousand years of peace where Jesus is actually on earth and reigning. And then you kind of, the rapture can kind of happen depending on where you stand, (laughs) before it or after it, right? And so there's this rapture that happens, a thousand years of peace. Um, there's going to be wars, famine, earthquake, a, a great tribulation, and then Jesus comes back. And, and then when he comes back, there's this golden age on the earth, right? And inside of this, you kind of see the world is just getting worse and worse and worse. Those that don't have this view would accuse it of being pessimistic, right? That the only hope we have is when Jesus comes back. But it's not really pessimistic because we know that there's a second coming and this happens, but, but Jesus will reign on earth and there will be a thousand years of peace. He comes back before the thousand years. The second one post-mill is, is the thousand years is kind of viewed not literally, but as a period of time. And it's this time of golden age where basically here on earth, Jesus doesn't come back, right? That's, Jesus doesn't come back till after a thousand years, but the thousand years is kind of a, figurative look, and it basically sees the church as being triumphant. So the church is going to grow and become healthier and healthier. Eventually, it's going to penetrate the government. It's going to penetrate culture. And basically, that thousand years of peace is a general term. And it's because the church has just become so great. God has moved in such a way that he's reigning in his church, right? And so a view of this would be, uh, there's a lot of theologians that had this view that kind of lived during times of revival. So 1904, there was a Welsh revival and and this time, they actually got to such a time of peace that the police force wasn't even needed in Wales, right? It's not like that anymore. But, but if you're living in that time, you kind of see this as that's a picture of what the golden age will be. That the government, the laws, morals will all be from the church, right? 
And then you have the last one, which is all mill. All kind of means no. So all mill don't really like that name because the Bible says there's going to be a thousand year reign, right? So they believe there's going to be a millennium, a thousand year reign. But again, it's figurative and it's not literal. So it's happening right now in heaven. So you've got Jesus. He died, buried, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven on the right hand of the Father. So he is living and reigning right now in heaven. And that's kind of where you see this millennium. And it's not just a an exact 1,000 years. It's until Jesus comes back, right? So that, that's kind of the, how they see this, that they see good and evil growing at the same time. So yeah, if you look outside the walls, if you look out in the world, it seems like evil is winning. It seems like the world is taking over. The world keeps getting worse and worse and worse. But when you look in the church, the church is getting healthy. It's growing. It's, it's not just growing numerically, but the disciples are making disciples and growing in Christ, growing in their understanding of scripture. And you see good and evil kind of growing at the same time. And so there's this view, and at, that, at, at some random point, they don't really know when, is when Jesus comes back. Now you'll notice in one out of three is when I mentioned the rapture, right? And when, it, when people think about the end times, they kind of think about the rapture. It comes from 1 Thessalonians uh, 4.17. It says, Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church, and he says, After that, we who are still alive are, are left and will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so he's already talked about how there's going to be the resurrection of the dead. And then those of us that aren't dead, when Jesus comes back, will be caught up in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. So that's where you see this caught up in the clouds, meeting God as this rapture theology. And, and honestly, it's probable all of these views, I'm not going to tell you where I stand because they could all be probable, right? But in my opinion, and there's a lot of theologians that are a lot smarter than me that agree with me, also that disagree with me, but, but in my opinion, the rapture will not, the Left Behind series is not a good theological book because they have the rapture happening, then all of this stuff happening on earth. And so they see pre-tribulation, so pre-bad time, rapture, and then the world goes to the pot, right? And the truth is, that's not very likely. It's more likely that we'll all be here uh, during the bad time. Uh, that's what the other two views see. But And then most of the people who are premillennial would say that we are raptured after the tribulation or even halfway through the tribulation. And so there's this sense of life is not easy, Right? Life is hard. There's death. There's pain. There's suffering. There's conflict. There's persecution. And so there's this sense of all this is happening now. And if that's the case, when do we get out of it? They all kind of point to saying, hey, there's going to be a time when Jesus comes back. And that when he comes back is debated. These views are all debated and it's kind of confusing. But, but my hope in this talking about this is that you will go home and you'll listen to a podcast, you'll read a book, you'll read the Bible, you'll, you'll talk to people, and you'll form your own opinion. Because I think that I don't really fall in the pre-mill, but hey, if, there's a tribu- if I get raptured, I'll change my mind in the air, right? <laughs> like, like, I don't really fall there, but I think it's okay if you do, as long as you are getting your opinion from the Bible, and that's your source. So that being said, I want to talk about all of those, kind of look at, so, so we all are aware of that but I think there's a few things that they all agree on. And since we only have 30 minutes, that's where I want to highlight today. They all agree 
that Jesus is going to come a second time. There's gonna be a time when Jesus returns. Like I said earlier, this can, has since kind of can raise up fear, right? The, the, some of the terms, it's gonna be a great and terrible day of the Lord because if you look at the tribulation, there's war, there's famine, there's persecution, and, and there's this sense of, of terrible things. But it's also great because if you believe and you follow Jesus Christ and he has your heart, then those things are not for you, right? But the, the truth is, the truth is, when Jesus' second coming is a promise of hope. It's like a, when a bride gets an engagement ring, right? Now, some engagements, this, this, there's some holes in this illustration, but stay with me, right? Because there's some engagements that happen really quick. But, but for like Lauren and I, right, I gave her a ring. We got engaged and we weren't married until a year later. And inside of that year, it was like we were longing to be married. We were, when is it gonna get here, right? When is it gonna get here? There's all the planning, inviting, making sure everybody's happy, making sure everything's in, you do the cake tasting, everything, you gotta get everything scheduled. It can be kind of, cause anxiety, cause stress, you're waiting till the end and you're waiting to be married. You just want that day to come. And in the times where it seems like, is it never going to get here? She could look down and she could see that ring and know that there's this bright future that's been promised, right? And so, so kind of for us, that's like the Holy Spirit is that engagement ring. We know that God has given us a promise. We know that we can lean into that promise. We know that when life is hard, when things aren't going our way, that as a believer, what we're going through right now is not the end. That if it's not good, God's not done. That there is a bright future. There is a way that if it's the end time, if it's, if it, even if it kills you, right? Even if it kills you, there is a time where we will be in heaven. There's a time when Jesus is coming back and we will be in his presence. And it's the symbol of hope, the symbol of something that we can hold on to. God comes and he establishes peace. And if we, in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, if we are children of the light, that darkness is not for us. We are not destined for the wrath of God because Jesus is coming back and he will be king. So what the first thing they agree on is that Jesus is coming a second time. Another thing is that death was defeated. We see in, in Isaiah 25, 6 through 8, it says that, on the mountain of the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all people, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, we, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. There's this sense that death will be no more, that life will be rich, that life will be abundant, that life will be eternal, right? And so there's this sense of saying, hey, death doesn't have the final word. Death is, this brings such hope in times of when we lose loved ones, times when we're going through battles, because again, hope is the message. Hope is the message of this book that death does not have the final word. The third thing they agree on is that heaven is not our final place, which is kind of controversial. And it's not really controversial because they all agree on it, but there's this sense of we all growing up, I thought heaven was it. 
but heaven's not it because they talk about the resurrection of the bodies, right? I used to uh, not want to die and go to heaven because I didn't think they would have football in heaven, right? <laughs> and so <laughs> there's this sense of we need to be careful when we say that because football isn't our God. Football's not our focus. The fact that when we die, we immediately are in the presence of God, right? That goes back to the last one, that death isn't the final word. So, so when you breathe your final breath, in that moment, you are in the presence of Jesus King. You are in the presence of our Father, in that moment, you, are in the, you know the fullness of his glory. You know the fullness of his love. But that's not the end. There's another time when Jesus is, there says there's a new heavens and a new earth. When Jesus comes, he comes to reign on the earth. There will be the resurrection of our bodies. So we will have bodies in the end times, right? So there's this sense of, Okay, if there's bodies, maybe there's football. I mean, there won't be concussions, right? And then more importantly, there will be Georgia Tech football, right? <laughs> no, but seriously, there's this sense of the, the, the glory of heaven, the, the, the greatness of heaven is being in the presence of God. If that's all there is, that's all we will ever need. But we'll have bodies. And there's this sense of being in the new heaven and the new earth. The, the world will be richer. It's like in the Chronicles of Narnia, in the last book, they talk about uh, being in this new place, and it's got all the stuff from their previous place, but the food is more real. The experiences are more real. There's the sense of our eyes being open. There's the sense of knowing that God is in control. Job in in, uh, chapter 19 says that, I know that my Redeemer lives, and that the end he will stand on the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh... I will see God. Creation, if you've ever been to like the Grand Canyon or you've ever been camping, you've been awed by creation, it will be even more inspiring. It'll be even more rich. There's this sense of holding on and knowing that heaven is not even our final place, that we will be here and it will all be to God's glory and for his love. So what, do we, so what do they all have in common? I've kind of thrown a lot of scripture, a lot of points, but, but here's what I want us to take away from today. And that's hope. That's hope that even when it can be confusing, that we know that Jesus is coming back. And even though when Jesus, and Jesus is coming back, that, that death is defeated. It does not win. And that we will be here on earth worshiping him. I think about it, and we talked about how John wrote this book for the readers to look at their present life in light and times of the final outcoming. Out, right? So, so I think about it in loved ones. I uh, several years ago lost my grandfather, right? And I can remember even having a chance to speak at his funeral and just saying he had some breathing troubles, had some mobility issues, he would shake, he, could, he had hearing issues, and in that moment when he breathed his final breath, he was in the presence of God. But even the, after that. There will be a time where he is back in his body and it won't be that earthly body. It won't be that body that shakes and has trouble breathing, but it'll be a body that is worshiping God in its absolute fullness and glory. So there's this hope, even when we lose loved ones. There's this hope that when we think about loved ones who are sick, or even if we're sick, we, this, Lauren talked about this last week being a hard week. You, you guys know that her mom is battling stage four colorectal cancer, and, and they removed all the cancer, and it, it, she went through all of her chemo, but it was like they, they found a couple more spots, and it, she's still having to go through chemo, and it's been kind of a tough battle. And uh, We were at the beach that, a couple weeks ago with all of them, and she couldn't really do much because her legs were swollen up really bad. 
And then when she got back home, the swelling kind of got up even into her abdomen. So like her abdomen down was all swollen. So she went to the hospital and they, they actually found another mass in her abdomen that was uh, pressing on her liver and also causing her kidneys to fail, right? And so there's like, if you're dealing with stage four cancer and then they find another large mass, it's not usually a good, good thing, right? So they went in, they, had to do, they did some surgery, they inserted some tubes where they needed to put tubes and, and she came out of that surgery and she's doing a whole lot better. We sent out some texts. We had people praying and, and Outlook is, is positive now, right? Outlook is positive. But, but in that moment when we first got that news, it was devastating. And thankfully I had been studying and preparing for this stuff and I just thought, man, you know what? Even, if, even in this time where she is sick and her body's not working, even in this time where life is really difficult for her and for us, we have the hope that we know that this is not the end. We have the hope that we know that there's gonna be a time where her body is resurrected and perfect, that she's gonna be in the presence of Jesus, that, there, that no matter what happens, we have hope. I think, about the, I think about it in light of the persecution that some of our brothers and sisters face. Uh, I mean, if you go online, you can find stories and of, I mean, st- unspeakable things that are happening to brothers and sisters in Christ in Korea and China, China and stuff that literally will haunt you. You wake up at night and think, the, here in America, we've got it so easy. Somebody might not like us because we're a Christian, but some of the things that they face the literal pain and hardship that they're facing. And there's this hope, there's this hope that even though they're in that trying time, it's not the end. I think about it in light of personal battles. There's a hope that one day we will all be perfect and in the presence of God. Now I wanna wanna have a warning about this because a lot of times we can hear this teaching of life, can be difficult. We all have things that we're going through, broken relationships, questions that we're trying to face, uh, career moves, children. We all have things that we're going through and there's this sense of saying, you know what? There's a hope for the end times. And I know when it's all said and done, I'll be in the presence of God and that'll be great. And, And it has created a culture where we have people sitting in pews in churches and they're just waiting for God to come back. But this is not an excuse saying there's hope for the future, that it's going to be good one day, so let's just hide in our safe room and wait it out. Because that's not what's going on here. Life, The Christian life is not all about comfort. It's not all about life being easier. The fact that these, if you think about the persecuted Christians, they are going forward with the mission of Christ, and it's costing them everything. If we follow Jesus, the truth is life gets uncomfortable. He calls us out of our comfort zone. He stretches us. He grows us. And life is more thrilling and alive than we could ever think or imagine, right? It's good. But, but in the moment, this, this hope is not a hope for us to hide in a closet. It's a hope for us to get out and live out the Great Commission, to get uncomfortable, to talk to strangers, to build relationships, to love our neighbor. That's not easy, But this hope of a future is a hope that people need to know about. It all starts, it was all initiated with the cross. Jesus died for our sins. He died so that we no longer have this sin curse, but that we don't even have to sin. Like he forgives us and he gives us the power to overcome. And that message is not just for us, but it's for our neighbor. And through that, we see the hope of the end times. We see the hope that there is a second coming, that there is a resurrection of the bodies, that there is no victory in death. 
but that we have victory in Christ. Death does not win. And that's the message for today. That when we look at the end times, I challenge you to study it. I challenge you to find your opinion. I challenge you to look at that. But I also want you to know that there is an unending hope in Christ, no matter what we're going through. And that in that hope, we can be motivated and carried through doing the Great Commission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you died on the cross. We thank you that there is this second coming. We thank you that there's a hope ahead of us. I pray that we never get complacent. We never say, I don't need to know about that, whatever it is. Lord, I just wanna, I want us to know and rest in you and have the confidence and the victorious life because we know the end of the story. I pray that that, knowing that end will give us the boldness and the courage we need to go out and share your love with people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you guys.